Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is to the anti-smokers the equivalent of Radio Shack to the Amish. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining 18 and over pipe smoking podcast broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, and yes, I am back and for the first time live on Tuesday night on our new Tuesday nights. So in tonight's show for pipe parts, I'm going to talk about Dunhill patents, not the ones you may think of but some Dunhill patents. And my guest will play the uh, second part of my conversation with Jim Amish, which uh, might mean he was not at a Radio Shack. Uh, but anyway, and then after after Jim, I'll uh, tell you about the trip, and we'll hit the mailbag and get that caught up, and then a rant, all that coming up at the end of the show. Let me hit on one thing real briefly about the trip. Uh, the last day, the last day, last Saturday, we get off the ship. And from the ship, we took a taxi to the airport. From the airport, we took a little uh, monorail-looking train to the rental car center. Got a rental car, hopped on that, drove around for a little bit, saw some of the sights around Miami. From there, went back to the rental car center, dropped the car off, went back on the monorail... Got back, got back into the airport, got on the plane, and then flew home where we took a bus to the parking lot to get in our own car. So I figured that was my version of being on a boat, taxi, bus, uh, monorail, elevator, escalator, moving walkway. Did I say bus already? I think I did. And then back home into my own car. I think we hit every mode of transportation possible except for maybe a uh, transporter beam or a hot air balloon. But that was Saturday getting home, to say the least. Sunday was try to get caught up on stuff around the house a little bit, but it ended up being me laying on the couch in the afternoon for a couple of hours and then going to bed early. But all right, everybody, so I'm back in the saddle again. Sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. This is Internet Radio. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeerschaumStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeerschaumStore.com, the most trusted Meerschaum store for 50 years. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? 
because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. Welcome back to the happily smoke-filled recording studio here in Concord, North Carolina. Uh, In just a few minutes, the second half of my conversation with Jim Amish, but in pipe parts, I thought I'd talk about Dunhill patents. Uh, The Dunhill patents that we all know refer to pipes and the patent era of pipes, and those are the most collectible of the older pipes. There's the post-World War II uh, patents and then the pre-World War II and then it gets all the way back into the early on ones. But one of the, some of the stuff that most people don't realize is that Alfred Dunhill was himself quite a um, quite of an, an inventor. And I just did a simple Google search, and you all can go to Google and search Alfred Dunhill patents, and some of these will come up. But for example, in uh, in April of 1898. Alfred Dunhill filed a patent for a means for excluding air from bottles, jars, or other receptacles. And the way the patent reads is, uh, Be it known that I, Alfred Dunhill, manufacturer of cycle accessories, a subject of the Queen of Great Britain and a resident of 145 to 147 Euston Road, in the city of London, England, have invented a certain new and improved means for excluding the air from tins, bottles, jars, or other receptacles, for which I've applied for patents in Great Britain, and and so on and so on. So it looks like he's found a vacuum sealing device. Uh, Going on further with other patents, on uh, February, uh, uh, May 7th of 1918, Alfred filed for a patent for a device for checking and recording the time of workmen and others. And it says here, Be it known that I, Alfred Dunhill, a subject of the King of Great Britain and Ireland, residing at 30 Duke Street, James, Southwest, in the County of London, England, have invented certain new and useful improvements in checking and recording the time of workmen and others, of which the following is a specification. The invention relates to means for recording and checking time for workmen and others. Apparently, being redundant in a patent is beneficial. But it also goes on to say many kinds of apparatus have been designed for this purpose, which apparatus have been, however, very expensive, liable to get out of order, and have caused dissatisfaction for many reasons to employers and workmen. My present invention relates to a very simple and effective apparatus or device for recording times. So now Alfred is into uh, inventing or improving a time clock. Here's one that was filed by Alfred on October 30th, 1916, and it is for a metal matchbox. Holding matches and to that particular variety of box which consists of an inner tray or container for the matches, a housing surrounding said tray or container, an outer part snugly fitting the exterior and hinged connected to said housing 
and means by which said tray or container will be pushed out to the required extent when the outer part of the box is turned outward and be retracted when said outer box outer part is turned back the outer part of such boxes serves as windshields so now alfred has improved or used the windshield technology on a metal matchbox there's also one that I'll touch on briefly. It was filed on June 11th of 1926, and it's an apparatus for obtaining kaleidoscope lighting effects. And it was basically, I'm going to guess that from reading the description, that it was basically a display box or what we would call nowadays a point-of-sale piece to catch your attention when you're in a store. And here's one that kind of leans more towards what we like, and it was filed on September 19th of 1921, a means for charging smoking pipes. And the way it reads is, be it known that I, Alfred Dunhill, a subject of the King of Great Britain and Ireland, residing at London, England, have invented certain new and useful improvements in means for charging smoking pipes, of which the following is a specification. This invention relates to improved means for charging oil, fi- oil filling pipes for smoking. I'm going to guess that that's oil curing pipes for smoking. For this purpose, it has already been proposed to provide a cartridge formed from a cylindrical wad of tobacco furnished with a wrapping or envelope. All right, I take that back. This is for auto filling pipes so what he's done now is he's patenting a wad of tobacco wrapped in paper and of a certain length or size to fit directly into your bowl without you having to pack a bowl and here's the one i like because it was filed on my birthday although many 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 years before on october 23rd 1919 an apparatus for seasoning and finishing tobacco pipes this was filed in the U.S. Patent Office as well. And it says, be it, be it known that I, Alfred Dunhill, subject to the King of Great Britain and Ireland, residing in London, England, have invented certain new and useful improvements in apparatus for seasoning and finishing tobacco pipes, of which the following is a specification. The invention relates to apparatus for seasoning and finishing tobacco pipes made from briar and other wood, In the manufacture of these articles, it is often desirable to employ oils, but the employment of such oils is open to the objection that when the pipe is first used, the heat and burning tobacco causes the oil to exude, imparting an unpleasant flavor to the smoke and destroying the appearance of the outer surface of the pipe. My present invention relates to improved means for overcoming this drawback and relates to a seasoning and heating apparatus which enables the pipe to be treated with oil and quickly prepared for use without it being necessary to store them away for long periods as has been usually the practice after treating pipes with oil in order to prevent superfluous oil being exuded during the process of smoking. So here is Alfred's patent for oil curing. And again, if you want to find these and read a whole bunch of them, there's a few others that are that come up on this Google search of that are pipe related and pipe and cigar case related. 
Just Google search Alfred Dunhill Patents. All right, in just a few minutes, my uh, second part of my discussion with Jim Amish. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sutliff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. Hi, this is Russ Willett, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, Jim Amish, and as we said in the previous episode with you on, we recorded this all in one shot because my travel schedule's getting crazy, but thought we'd break these up because I know that doing reviews of tobacco and the stuff that you've done on the forums is, uh, not only do you put a lot of effort into it, but you're highly passionate about it. So how did the, how did the reviewing of tobaccos begin? Well, when I started joining the forums... And I joined several forums. You know, I mainly, mainly just out of curiosity. And then I started seeing that people were smoking a lot of different blends. And I'm going, oh, okay, I found like-minded people. Well, that, of course, was a real plus. And then I'd see some people talk about some blends. And I found out about TobaccoReviews.com. And I decided to check it out. And then I started reading some of those reviews. And some of them are good. And frankly, some of them are terrible. <laughs> and I thought to myself, on the good reviews... I'd go, well, maybe I'll try that, you know, and I started, it started helping me think about a couple of ones that I might like to try that I had not tried before. And, uh, when, and then I'd talk, I started engaging people on what they like and what they don't like on the forums, and, I, and people started asking for my opinion, and I just started thinking, you know, I have people here who are, who are so giving of their time, why can't I do the same back? So that's why I started writing reviews. I wanted to give back to the people who were willing to help each other, and I felt like I could be a part of the community, and I could maybe be of some help, you know, to, to somebody, uh, for good or for bad. I mean, taste is such a subjective thing that 
it's hard for anybody to to agree. I mean, if if we all had the same tastes, we'd all eat the same foods, we'd all smoke the same tobaccos, we'd all listen to the same music, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've been known to change my mind on tobacco and go back and I and, and rewrite a review in part or maybe a couple times in totality. Uh, so I can't expect someone to always agree with me. What I want them to do is understand what my experience is, and maybe that will be of some help to them. If if their taste matches mine, then I'm of help to them. If their taste doesn't match mine, I'm probably not of much help to them at all. But the main thing is I just wanted to give something back to a community that has come to mean a lot to me, and that's why I, I started doing it. How many reviews have you done? <laughs> well, 511. I... I, I I counted, you know, last night when I well they have a number of tobacco reviews and they tell you what the number is and I, I didn't really wasn't aware of how many I had until I got to near five hundred and I went holy cow that's a lot <laughs> I, I I didn't realize I was spending that much time on it honestly, but I started you know uh, putting them on web I don't put all my reviews on the on the pipe forms I put the ones I thought were either significant that maybe somebody might care about knowing. Or in a case of Sutliff, Sutliff asked me to be a taste tester because of what happened with the Edward G. Robinson, which we can talk about. And yeah. I felt like, you know, they they don't pay their, their reviewers. They give, them a, they give them a tin of tobacco, and you, 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 you smoke it till you know enough to write a review, and you write a review. That's, that's, that, that, there's, no, there's no caveat. And they don't care if, well, they would love for you to love the tobacco, of course, but if you write a bad review, if you hate the tobacco, you get to say so. And there's no repercussion from them. They just want you to be honest. And, that, and, and with that in mind, how could I resist? I get to try new blends. I get to share my, my thoughts with other people. And maybe, again, it would be some help to people. Either I want to try this or I want to not try this. And, and because, it, because they were giving me a free tin, I said, you know, I'll just put those re- uh, reviews on the form. Or, you know, if it was something, a new production of something that's not Sutliff or of any blend, you know, then I would put that on a form. But whatever I've smoked, it doesn't matter who makes it, you know, I've been writing, you know, a review of it for the reasons I explained to you earlier. What is your, what is your process that you go through when you get a brand new tobacco and you're going to review it? Well, it depends. If it's something I think is going to co- ghost a pipe, I either smoke it in a cob or a mirror or a rock cob. There's a guy named John Barrett who, who goes by the name Reckon Pip who, who makes stone pipes. And you get some of the purest flavor of tobacco out of these pipes, and I recommend that They're not clutchers, but they're good smoke. So I pick a pipe like that if I need to do one of two things. Either smoke a pipe of a tobacco that I think is going to ghost a pipe, a briar, or if it's something that I know is going to have a complex taste and I really need to try to figure out the nuances of various flavors. So that's generally my guideline. There are some pipes I have, like I told you you know, in an earlier segment, that are dedicated to Virginia's or dedicated to English blends or dedicated to Virginia Perique, whatever. And then I will smoke blends in those genres in those pipes. So that's generally how I do it. About how many bowls do you go through in order to get a full profile for the tobacco? That varies widely. It's easier to pick up the flavor of aromatics and English blends, I think, than of Virginia's and uh, Virginia Periques. Obviously, when you've got something that's got a lot of components, it takes time. And sometimes I've, sometimes I've had to smoke you know, 10 or 12 bowls. 
you know, to, to get that, because I'd go, did I, did I hit the spice? You know, in a bowl, maybe the second time I smoked, I didn't get any spice. And then I'd have to think, well, was that my imagination? Well, let me smoke a few more bowls and let me see what I can find. Uh, sometimes, you know, you get a blend where the components aren't as well mixed as they ought to be, and you can actually get different flavors. Or you get a blend like McBaron's Scottish, which has a, a wide variety of tobaccos in there, and you can't decipher what that flavor, what the individual flavors are in one or two bowls. You need a dozen at least. And there are some, like, if you were going to smoke Captain Black White or, you know, or Spinnaker that Sutliff makes, you know, which is a cherry blend, or, you know, things of, of, that, of that stripe, then it's easier to figure out. Um, so there are some bowls I've, some tobaccos I figured out in two or three bowls, and some has taken me a dozen or more. It's it it it, it depends. Have you done reviews on on tobaccos that are uh, long gone? A few, a few that I had smoked. There was one called Madeira Gold, and it was awful. <laughs> it was really awful. And back, and I and I bought it because it was it was twenty five cents for a pouch. And Borkham Riff at the time was 35 and, you know, Sir Walter Raleigh, I think, was $0.28. Cents. You know, it was cheap, and I didn't have much money then. So I said, well, hey, I can afford this. I'll try it. And Lord knows why I was foolish. <laughs> it was awful. It had a honey oat flavor, and it was like rotten honey oats. I couldn't eat. It was one of the very few tobaccos that I didn't finish. And when you're 16 and you don't have much money, if you don't finish a pouch, you know it's bad. <laughs> um, but, I've, but I've been lucky. You know, I got to try some George Washington, which I always wanted to try, given my interest in American history. And it was a pretty good cut plug. It's just a straight cut plug body. But it, it had some molasses, some nutty, a little coconut, and, but not coconut, cocoa. And it's got a very sharp flavor. So I think some of, some of it was probably uncased. And, uh, you know, I got to try some older blends. Sometimes somebody had, like, like somebody had a 1960s tin of Balkan Sobrani, and I was so eager to try it. And I got to smoke, you know, three bowls of it, and it was wonderful and different from the Balkan Sobrani that I was smoking at the time, which was the 1990s. Um, and so it was interesting to compare. That's why I was interested in the White Knight that, that Russ Olette has made, because it seems to be to be more similar to the 60s version I smoked and he designed it to be like the Balkan Sobrani that he smoked in the 1970s. I did not smoke the 1970s version. I smoked from the 82 on up. But uh, it's very similar. There's some differences, but it's a very good blend. Peretti's Royal Blend is got some similarities to Balkan Sobrani, only it's much more spicier and maybe a little bit less sweeter. But uh, I've been lucky that sometimes people gifted me older blends. Like Sir Walter Raleigh, I have now smoked... So Raleigh from 1944, and, and in every decade up to the current decade, and it's amazing that the flavor has never changed. It's absolutely consistent. The only difference I saw in any of them was the 1944 version. The flavor was actually a little deeper. I got to smoke 1920s half and half, so which was actually tastier than any of the current half and half blends. And it was also deeper in flavor with none of the PG in it. And it was very interesting, and it was very good, actually. And I'm not a big half-and-half half fan. So I've had the luxury through people on the forums who have been willing to trade or send me a sample of some of the older buds so I could try I could try them. 
Previously, you said that you had about 10 tins of the Three Nuns, the new version that you bought for aging. Yes. Are you able to tell when you're taste testing a blend if it's going to age well and about how long you should really age it for? Sometimes. I couldn't say all the time. Uh, There are some Virginias that taste kind of green, and you know they just need more time. Uh, and I don't want to mention a specific manufacturer. I don't think that would be fair. But there, are, there there's one manufacturer. I think sometimes um, their 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 tobaccos are a little too green, and they need to age first. Uh, there are some that you just know. There are some red Virginias that you know, and dark Virginias that you know are going to age magnificently, and they may be good at the time. Um, there was Wakama by Low Country, and I'll name that one. And it was very good, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. But I could tell also within two or three years it would be even more magnificent as the flavors, you know, develop with age. I mean, it's, it was good fresh out of the tin, but I think it's going to be even better. There's some things you just know. Full Virginia Flake, you know, Stonehaven, they're going to get better with age. You know, Burleys don't seem to age as much because of the sugar content. Latakias sometimes can dull with age. So, you know, I don't think um, aging Latakia-dominated um, blends will bring you uh, very much difference. In fact, it may decrease if you within a 7- to 10-year period. So I don't think you benefit much from aging English blends, on, I, on, on, generally speaking, anyway. There's some exceptions. And I've even found with my Perique blends that if you age them for too long, I lose some of that punch in the Perique that I like. That's right. That's right. I, w- I, I was getting that. It becomes, you get more of the, pl- the, the plum than the pepper. You do lose some of that. But it's not true of Three Nuns, by the way. Not of the Vapor Three Nuns. Because for Christmas, I decided to open up one of my tins for the year 2000. And if anything, it was, it was a little more potent and, and luxurious than it was when I smoked it fresh. So there are some exceptions. But for the most part, I think you're right on the Perique. Great. Now you got me chasing after another thing that's going to cost me more than I want to spend. Yeah, I know. Some of the prices for these old tins are outrageous, and I can't afford them. I saw, you know, uh, Pipestead sold a tin of 80s uh, Three Nuns for over, I think it was $836. And I don't know who in the world had that much money to spend on a hundred grand tin, but I sure would like to be his next door neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> or his best friend. <laughs> uh, that too, yes. <laughs> We're going to take a break right here because I got two questions for you, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to take a while to answer. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s. 
and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Jim. All right, you gotta, you gotta tell him, you gotta ask, answer this question for me first. Do you find specific taste profiles between each manufacturer? Does each factory kind of have a have a similar undertone of flavor through every blend they make? Some of them do. Uh, McClellan certainly does. People long talked about the vinegar taste that's in the Virginias, and you either like that or you don't. There's not a hell of a lot of middle ground there. Um, some of the Sutliff aromatics have a familiar theme to them, and um, the, some of the, the, the some of the Gowith does. Obviously, Gowith and Hogarth with the uh, Lakeland scent; those obviously are a familiar theme. So, yes, in part, uh, I noticed that Cornell and Deal sometimes. They they like to use earthy burley, which I which I personally like an earthy burley. I don't want it all just to be sweet Carter Hall or Sir Walter Raleigh, and I don't mean to knock those two because I even smoke smoke them sometimes as a change of pace. So and I like them, but I also like a dark earthy burley that's got the, 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 the that's got some meat to the flavor. And Cornell Deal is good about that. Do you think you find a you find a, a style that a factory or a manufacturer does, and that will indicate that if if you like that style, you'll like most of what they do? No, no, I, I I don't think I don't think so. I don't think I can say that because I mean, take Sam Gowis for instance. There are some blends I really like. There's a few I wasn't very you know thrilled about. I mean, every company has got some have got very good blends, and all of them, and a few, all of them have a couple of dog rockets. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's, and and so you can't say everything this one company puts out is going to be great. Now you can't say in the case of Bork and Riff because they have a special style that if you don't like one Bork and Riff, there's a fair chance you may not like any of them. But if you really like a couple Bork and Riff products, there's a fair chance you like you may like most of them. So they're, you know, it sort of works in that way, I think. Because you're the exact sure. opposite of me, where I tend to, I've, I found one or two manufacturers where I really like their style, and I kind of am stuck in that little rut. Well, you have GLPs that has a great style. They, they make a lot of terrific blends. Um, McBaron, you know, makes a lot of really good blends. Uh, there are a few that I haven't been overly fond of. The same as Sutliff. Sutliff and the private stock blends, they have a lot of blends I really like. They have a few that, frankly, I didn't like. But when I came to review them, I decided the best thing I can do, and I don't do this all the time, but for the most part, I try to write objective reviews and let people make up their own mind. Because just because I liked it or because I didn't like it doesn't mean that you will in, in either direction. But then there's a few blends, like Old Dark Fire that McBerry makes. Oh, well, I was not really that objective about it because I really love it. Um, Sam Gallif, Full Virginia Flake. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be so objective about that. I really love that one. Uh, and there are a few others. But then there are some blends that I 
prefer a little objectivity because I just don't I, I don't want to influence the person reading my review any more than I can help. I better make up their own mind, you know, because like I said, taste is subjective. And when you really don't like a tobacco and you really think it's really bad, do you actually say so? Sometimes I have. I, I, there was uh, Middleton's apple or Middleton's cherry. And I said on one of them, it should have been sold with yellow crime tape around the package. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we'll, we'll insert Mr. Subliminal's Middleton cherry review right here. There's a reason Middleton's Cherry Blend has been around for so long, leftover cigarette tobacco. It's because they use the finest leaf available, floor sweepings. <laughs> All right, let's go forward because I want to talk about the Edward G. Robinson blend because you had something to do with that. And I'm not sure what all you had to do with it, but go ahead and tell okay. us the story. Okay, it's a long story. First of all, my friend, most people who know me as Jim Inks, they know my avatar is Edward G. Robinson smoking a pipe. Humphrey Bogart is my favorite actor, and Robinson is my second favorite actor. And when I joined the pipe form, somebody had already used Bogart smoking a pipe, so I used Robinson, who I love in nearly everything I've ever seen. And and I, and I came to learn that there had been an Edward G. Robinson pipe tobacco. I never saw it in stores growing up, and I couldn't find anybody. Only one person I ever knew had tried it on a pipe form, and he said that he used to smoke it occasionally and liked it. But you couldn't find it for sale anywhere. And then when I finally did, I saw it was only sold in 12-ounce tubs. Well, it's hard to spend, you know, fork over with shipping 40 to $50 for a tub if you don't know if you're going to like it. And since it's a mild aromatic, and I prefer straight Virginias or Virginian Preaks, I wasn't sure if I want to invest that kind of money in something I might dislike after one or two bowls. So I, I sent Sutliff an email and asked him about it, and I said, is any way I could get a sample of this blend, I would, because you know I love Edward G. Robinson. I would like to try this tobacco. And a man named Jonathan Sutliff said, "I'd be very happy to send you a sample. Happy smoking." And he sent me. He didn't. He sent me. He didn't. He, what he sent me was not a sample. He sent me a whole tub. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the generosity of it. I was just, you know, so surprised. If I'd have thought about it, I'd have thought, well, how would they send me a sample? What are they going to do with the rest of the tobacco in the tub? But it never occurred to me they would be thoughtful enough to do what I did. And I started smoking it, and I started liking it a lot. Okay. It turned out on the, on the, on the, on, on the day I had emailed them, they had talks about whether or not they were going to continue to make it because nobody bought it. Because, and nobody bought it because they didn't have it for sale or listed in their catalog. It wasn't listed at their website. And hardly anybody knew about it. And only and besides Yvonne Reese... And uh, I think there was one other one other company, uh, Mars Cigars, and nobody was selling it on the internet. So I was trying to talk to them about, uh, you know, why don't you sell it, in, you know, one and a half ounce tins? And they said, well, we don't think it'll sell that well. And I started, you know, they were a little reluctant. Uh, and I thought, okay, I'm going to start a little internet campaign. So I'm on seven different pipe forms, and I started talking about the tobacco. I wrote a review. I, I I started trying to pump it up a little bit because I wanted to see this happen. I mean, this is this was my little crusade because I like this blend, uh, and I started getting people interested. And then several people commented that, well, you know, it's a lot of money to spend. You know, blah blah blah, like I had said. And I said, why don't? So I said, I I said, why don't you, you know, uh, contact the company and say you would like to see them sell it in one and a half ounce tins? And a number of quite a number of people did. So. 
I had sent out in the meantime some samples uh, from the tub they gave me to people who, you know, I wanted to try it and who asked to try it. I gave away some samples, traded a couple. So here I am on a, on a Friday afternoon, and I'm talking to the same guy, Jonathan, at Sutliff on the telephone. And, uh, you know, he was they're still kind of up in the air whether they want to do it or not. And I said, look, you know, I've sent out a number of samples. If I send out any more, I won't have any to smoke. And he said, well, Jim, I'll, for all you've done, I'll send you another tub. And I thought, that is very generous of you, Jonathan. And I tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you will send out a tub, I will send those other samples out on Monday. And he said, you have a deal. So I went back to the forums, and I started pumping up the blend. And I said, here's the the, the email for Sutliff. You know, because Sutliff started giving out free samples. They said they would give out free samples, you know, uh, in pouches to, to people who asked, which, you know, since I started generating the interest. Well... That weekend, I did this at all the forums, and people were responding. A number of people just went ahead and bought tubs themselves. I counted from from that Friday from Friday afternoon till Sunday night, Monday morning, till four in the morning, Monday morning. Twelve people bought tubs just based on what I had written, which greatly shocked and surprised me. I, I, I was impressed. In fact. Steve Fallon, who most people know as Pipe Stud, he had five tubs that he had reduced the prices on because I guess they hadn't moved fast enough. And he sold them all in one hour. And he writes into the thread, he says, what the hell's going on here? I couldn't sell this stuff. And all of a sudden, there was a demand for it. <laughs> I wrote him a private message, and I told him what was going on. And, and, and I didn't know Steve, and he didn't know me from a hole in a wall either. And he sent me some tobacco for free for helping his business, which I thought was you know, very, very kind of him. So at any rate, <laughs> uh, b- before I went to bed on uh, that, that Monday morning, I had sent links to, of all the threads to the people at Sutliff. And I said, by my running count now, there are 12 people who, who are going to buy tubs. Now, in the meantime, all these people emailed Sutliff asking for Edward G. Robinson. I got a I got a call uh, in a, a few hours later and woke me up because I you know I'm a late night late hours. Everybody knows I smoke late and because I'm working late. And he said, "We surrender." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "We just had a meeting and we've decided that we're going to um, sell Edward G. Robinson in one and a half ounce tins." And I said, "What changed your mind?" He said, "Well, obviously you're you're you're." your emails did and your messages did, but he said, we had so many people requesting Edward G. Robinson that it knocked our server offline, and right now we don't have Internet service. That's how many people <laughs> responded to what I had done in the forums. And on, on, on top of that, he had two uh, Internet um, uh, vendors, retailers, who obviously read my threads and contacted them and wanted to start carrying it based on what they had been reading. And the most amazing thing was, he says, you know, I've been here 12 years, and you're the first person who ever asked about Edward G. Robinson, and, and up until now, nobody, I, I, you, know, ever, I, you know, ever asked us about it. And he said, we are a retailer in California who ordered an entire case. And he says, Jim, do you understand what that means? He said, California has the highest tobacco taxes in the union, and this man ordered an entire case of Edward G. Robinson tubs. That has never happened in, in all the years I've worked here that anyone can remember. And he said, we, so we are going to do it. <laughs> and, and, that, and that is how Edward G. Robinson 
uh, was made in the one and a half ounce tins. I wrote the tin description. I um, when they when they when they gave away um, this past December the the tins to pipe clubs like Sutliff does each month. Uh, they did a little flyer, you know, a little mini poster for it, and I actually wrote the uh, the copy for for that too. Which you know, I did all this for free because I just wanted to see. I wanted to have that blend that I like so much stay around at an affordable price. And you know, Sutliff listened to me and he listened to all the customers. This is the great thing about about a company like Sutliff, you know, that they listen to their customers. That was very great of them. And of course, the great thing was it was people got interested and uh, pipe smokers did and they wanted to know well how could they get it and they wanted to try it because they liked my reviews and they saw the interest and and once their interest was peaked they wanted to try it and so it's it was the power of the people you know and Sutliff listened to them and i thought that was just great that it happened and now you know i'm as far as i can see it's been selling well a lot of vendors carry it and i'm always going to have it to smoke when i want it and and there's how the story went. Should I warn them before this interview goes out? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's it's nice. I can't tell you how good it feels to have been of service, to have been of use, to have done something that means something. You know, you know, when people like my reviews, it means a lot to me. If they don't like them, that's all right too. You know, I can't expect everybody to agree with me. But the 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 the, the fact that what that some of the things I've done have been of help and meant something to people has brought me great satisfaction. And you know, and I've done it for free, and I've done it on my own time because it's 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 my passion and it's something that I care about, and I get to share it. And people have shared back with me. There are people who who say who want to send me some tobacco that I haven't reviewed because it's their favorite tobacco, and they want to read my review of it, and they all send me tobacco. And I try to trade with them and send them something back whenever possible. And a couple of people at times wouldn't give a return address because they didn't want me to send them anything back. They just wanted to do something for me. And that means a lot to me. I, could, I can't express to you, you know, how much the thoughtfulness and caring and consideration that you know, goes into that, you know, it, how, how it touches me. It means a lot. And I've said this to you off the air. I think there are more generous and considerate people in these pipe forms than there are in the general population. I've seen a lot of people do a lot of nice things for people above and beyond the call of what people would often do, for, and often they do it for total strangers too. And you know, you just don't see that every day. And that's one of the reasons why these forums are so important. It's bound us together. You know, there's a certain brotherhood now that we have, a certain community we have that we didn't have quite to the extent before the advent of the internet. And now we can communicate with each other all around the world. And we can we can we can share this, our thoughts and our feelings on what we like in terms of pipe tobacco, in terms of pipes, in terms of our habits and things like that. And I think that it's we've become a close knit community because of this. And you know these 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 forms of, are indispensable to our hobby now. Do you have any suggestions for people that want to learn how to review tobaccos? Any any. Uh... Any uh, hints that you can give us when we're approaching a brand new tobacco for the first time? Well, obviously, the first thing to do is keep an open mind. You know, you, you know, I I'll give you a quick example. I was sent Dutch Masters uh, Cherry Blend. Now, I'm not a big fan of cherry blends, and I thought Dutch Masters well, they made lousy cigars. I always hated their cigars, <laughs> and I figured this was going to just be another cheap cherry blend. 
I put off smoking it, but I knew I was going to have to smoke it and, and review it. So I put it in the mirror. I took a few puffs. And went, this is pretty good. And I was amazed. I smoked. I smoked a few bowls. And I went, this is pretty good. And and so that shows that you know you shouldn't go into it being prejudiced. Okay, and that, that's the main thing. And you have to just not rely on on me or anybody else for what we think. You have to rely on your own taste buds most of all, because it's your money you're spending. It's your time you're spending. Uh, and and it's your senses that you're filling up with whatever it is that you put in your pipe, but you you know you think about the, uh, what flavors. If you know what preek tastes like, it'll help you to gauge, you know the, you know how high a content of preek that you can handle in a tobacco. The same with Latakia, um, the same with Unechi, some of the Turkish and Orientals. Um, if you if if you like straight Virginia's and you don't and you really don't like Burley, you know sometimes there's an alkaline level in some tobaccos like Red Virginia and some Burleys that that cause tongue bite with some people. Black Cavendish can cause your tongue to bite. If you if you don't like Black Cavendish but can handle maybe one or two percent a small amount in in a some blend, then it's okay. You know then you may try that. Edward G. Robinson has 1% Latakia, but you don't really notice the flavor of a Latakia. What it does is adds a little smoky push to the other flavors. And so sometimes, in a case like this, it's not what whether or not you can taste the ingredient. It's what the ingredient does for the other flavors. And, and that creates a nuance that sometimes is very hard to detect. But, you know, if you know what's in there, sometimes you can look for it. Sometimes I, I, you, there's a of tobacco in there that's so slight that you just can't plain notice it and you skip it all together. But maybe it does something that you're not aware of. You see what I mean? Uh, but the main thing is if you're into food, for instance, you know, if you're a cook, well, I used to run a pizza restaurant. I ran a restaurant for four years when I was in college. So I got to understand a bit about some flavors, what they do and they don't do. And, and and if you're into that, sometimes you can do a little equation, you know, bet- between flavors that way, and for the, that tobaccos produce. And um, but generally, the way something tastes to one person is on a different level of way uh, taste to another. So again, it's always subjective. I don't know if I answered your question or not. <laughs> I think somewhere in there you did. Okay. <laughs> but let me ask you: we got a couple more minutes left. You got to take a tour of the Sutliff Tobacco Factory. Just some quick yeah. impressions of what you saw in, in the tour. Well, they treated they treated my lady and I like royalty. They were even Paul Creasy, the president of the company, was you know uh, wasn't there. He came he came in like about five minutes late, and when we were introduced to him, he apologized for not being there when we came, which I thought was an amazing gesture. He was very kind to me. I was given an a tour of the factory. I got to see the process, how things were were, were put in pouches, and, thing, and how things were put in tins. I got to see it. The thing I liked the most is everybody there, from the floor sweeper to the people running the machines, when I'd walk by, they, they all would look up and smile, and that was a genuine smile. Those people liked their jobs, even the people who were, who were not in the office and the higher-up sales or whatever. And I was struck by the fact that people liked working there. I loved the smell. They were making processing Latakia that day. So we went in. The Latakia hit me. It was overwhelming, and it was wonderful. And I, I love Latakia, you know. And it was just a 
great flavor. And and they, they gave me several, several samples of tobaccos. Paul said, have you ever tried Voodoo Queen? I said, no, I haven't. And he had one of the guys go get me Voodoo Queen. When I met, when he asked me if I tried Count Pulaski, and I said, I had not. He he um, had one of the guys go get me some Count Pulaski. And they're very underrated blends and very good blends, and I like them very much. So I was very appreciative for being given that and was even more appreciative that I like them. But they but they are people who care about their customers and and you just don't always see inner workings of companies so you don't always know when a company we're used to hearing these conglomerates that don't care about their customers we're, we're, and, and you see it on the news all the time and it was nice to go to a company that was not a big multi-billion dollar company they're, a com- they're, they're, they're handling a niche audience with a niche product and they care about what their product they cared about their people and that was what I saw and that was what meant a lot to me and when I was there in October, they rolled out a barrel of Perique just so that I could hug it. And I've this reminded me to post the pictures up on the show, so I'll put those up there. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling to walk around and see all those bins of tobacco and to see all the blends that they were making. You know, because they do they they do their own blends, and everybody knows that they that they produce the the, the tins from Russ's recipes for most of the hearth and home blends. And there's other companies that they do it for that some people don't even suspect. It was an education to see how things were done. And you know, I don't know how many companies would allow. A civilian nobody like like me and my wife to, to and give them a tour. I, I just don't I, I just don't think that happens too often. And it was on a Friday. They took time out of their work schedule for us, and I I, I was just you know I'm everlasting appreciative of that. Jim, how do you want people to get a hold of you if they've got questions for you or if they just want to chat with you? Well. Uh, the best thing, of course, is to do, you know, just send me an email, and it's Jim Inks, which is, you know, as everybody knows, that's my um, handle on the forums anyway, and it's at AOL.com. You know, they can send me a message from the forums, but I actually prefer email because I'll see them quicker. Uh, so that's that's the best way, I think. And then you can find Jim on many different forums and a little bit on Facebook occasionally as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm on Facebook, and... Uh, you're under my real name, and uh, if you Google me, you can see some of the you can you can see some of the art I've done. Some, a lot of my art is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm my name under my real name. I'm on thousands of websites for my for my cartooning work, and for my book, my my books are being sold at Amazon.com, and I've done I've done biographies of uh, comic book artists like John Romita, uh, who was one of the major Spider-Man artists after Steve Ditko, who was the original original artist, and um, Carmine Infantino, who was the co-creator of the Modern Day Flash, and uh, Matt Baker, who was one of the first black comic book artists and who died young, and uh, he was one of the first good girl artists, drew beautiful women. Yeah, and uh, I, I, an Alter Ego magazine is sold eight times a year, and you can go to tomorrows.com and check out back issues of that, as well as um, you know other places on the internet where you can buy them. And one last quick question for you, because I'm dying to know. Are you ready? Yes. Betty or Veronica? (laughs) I get asked that so much. (laughs) I've been saying Cheryl Blossom. She's the redhead, and I married a redhead. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like the Ginger or Marianne question. Just had to ask it. 
Oh, yeah. Well, when I was a kid, it was ginger without a doubt. But as I got older, I'm going, ah, Mary Ann was really beautiful and built, too. But, uh, you know, but and Barbara Eaton was great, too, by the way. So we're talking TV, you know, women. But, uh, well, Betty's the girl next door, and Veronica is, is, the, is the rich, spoiled girl who really does have a heart of gold. So you, you can't go wrong either way. But, you know, there was something about Betty. You know, she was the one that would work on cars and veronica would never get her hands dirty to work on a car you know that was something that somebody else did but but they've actually made veronica a little less stuck up and snooty and she's more of a regular character now than she was when i was reading the comics as a kid and it's a thrill to work on characters that i grew up with i can't tell you what it's like to draw spider-man for the first time you know to draw batman for the first time uh to do you know um Archie and Jughead, because I, I love Jughead. He's my favorite Archie character because I love hamburgers. <laughs> Jughead is always eating hamburgers and pizza. Jim, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for all the contributions to the hobby that you've made and uh, for all the great artwork. Well, I greatly appreciate that, that Brian. And, and the people who, who always send me private messages and thanking me or thank me on the forum, I thank all of you. It means a lot to me. Uh, I don't take it for granted, and 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 it's the best thing that could happen, you know, that, that to be appreciated because everyone wants to be appreciated, and it's nice to know that what I've done, you know, you know, means something, and and that's the best reward that I get out of it all. And I thank everybody for that. And we'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco, founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, live in the studio. Uh... How was that for more of Jim? So anyway, let me recap a little bit about the trip. Uh, went down, to, flew down to Miami, visited with uh, visited with an old retailer friend of mine down there, and spent an hour with her, and then went and went 
and had dinner down in South Beach or in the Lincoln Road Mall area with a friend of mine down there. Uh, wife had never been down there, never seen that, so we wanted to go down there. We had dinner, and then we smoked a bowl walking around down there. And Nice evening. Uh, Saturday got up, hit the ship. Let me just give you a quick rundown of the ship. First of all, pipe and cigar smoking wide open on the starboard side of the 10th deck. Not exactly the best place if it's really breezy, which it is frequently out on the ocean. Or not exactly the best place if it was really hot, which it was frequently because it's June and July in the Caribbean. So... When I wanted to smoke a pipe or a cigar, there was the Bar Blue downstairs inside fifth deck. Hardly anybody ever in there. Only a The only time a bartender was on duty was from 8 p.m. to midnight, and there was no entertainment in there. For those of us that are pipe smokers, that's not that much of an issue. I mean, I bring my, you know, I could bring a book or a magazine and go sit down in there. I could, if the windows were open, I'd stare out the window and look at the ocean. I did find it a little interesting, though. On a couple of times when I went in there and I didn't have a book or anything, there was just some music in the background and people walking by out in front occasionally. And it was just kind of nice to really sit there and just have my thoughts and the music and my pipe or the cigar with me. So not not wanting to complain too much about that, but it was nice. It could have been nicer if they actually had like you know music in there performing at night, but... Anyway, can't complain about that too much at all. Um, food was food was decent most of the time. The one thing I want to say is the hot buttered popcorn caramel custard pudding dessert that I had one night was incredible. It tasted just like movie theater popcorn, which was really good. Uh, the uh, my favorite drink that I found, and thankfully I found it on the fifth day, was called a green iguana. And it was only served at the tequila bar up by the pool. It was, and listen to this math, because this is the way I naturally programmed. Uh, it was two shots of 1,800 gold tequila, a shot of Midori, and four different fruit juices poured over ice into a big cup. All right, got that? Three shots of booze, a little little bit of fruit juice, and some ice. Now, I looked, and that drink was uh, $8.50 regular price or something like that. Uh, eight fifty, eight seventy-five, somewhere around there. Looked at the price of the straight single shot of tequila. The single shot of eighteen hundred was six fifty. So if you do the math and you figure maybe the Midori's a five-dollar shot straight, because that was the minimum price for any shot on the boat, uh, that is about eighteen dollars worth of shots of liquor poured into a glass with some fruit juice on it. And let me tell you, it was really good and really potent. And when you started getting 16 ounces of them, because I bought the upgraded cup for it, it was really potent. And it lasted a really good long time, like two, three hours. Uh, But I can highly suggest the green iguanas, if anybody's going on carnival cruises, works out perfect during the heat of the day and uh, no carbonation. Uh, on On the stops in port, I spent as much time as I could face down snorkeling in the water. That's my thing. When I get out there, face down snorkeling in the water. When you get out, have a cigar, have a pipe. 
uh, did not have any problems whatsoever with anybody regarding smoking on any of the three beaches that we were on. We did take one excursion on St. Thomas where we went out on a fast catamaran and it uh, took us out to a spot where sea turtles come out to eat and uh, wife and I hopped in the water. She's not a real comfortable swimmer out in deep water like that. It was probably uh, 18 to 25 foot deep. and yeah, So anyway, so I stuck with her and thankfully... We stuck, I stuck with her, we fell behind to the group, and by the time we got around to the side of the boat, uh, the, the rest of the group had taken off towards where the guides were taking them, we kind of hung out back there, and we had our own private encounter with a sea turtle right below us, and the sea turtle decided that it was time for him to come up and get some air, and he came up within about two, three feet of us, got some air, turned around, looked at us, went back down, and we just had about 15 minutes of sitting there hovering with our own private sea turtle, and not a big crowd around us. Uh, other highlight, real quick. If you ever get a chance to get to San Juan, Puerto Rico, you've got to go see the two old forts that are there. The El Moro and then the Fortaleza. Uh, both dating back to when the Spanish owned Puerto Rico and when they were first, uh, when they were first you know, trying to colonize the Caribbean. So parts of those forts go back to the 1500s, and these things are massive. I mean, at one point, one of the fort, the, the fort that we were in, the newer portion of it, which was built in the 1700s, had 12-foot-thick concrete or block walls. I mean, just massive thick walls and layers and levels, and it was really cool. You get to go cruise around. Now it is a national park. No smoking in the national park. But uh, anyway, highly suggest if you get to San Juan, get a chance to get to the old port. San Juan, fairly smoking-friendly outside anywhere. Can't smoke indoors, but anyway. Had a great time on the trip. Glad we got back. Still trying to get rested up. Alert 1, alert 1. Incoming emergency action message. Got a lot of mailbag to catch up on, and let's go back to episode 93 for that one. Uh, one of my favorite comments was from... Harlock fan who said that he didn't think that Jim Inks was a real person and uh, Jim's actually real. Uh, what else have we got here? Trail Boss said that was a great interview. I always assumed that cartoons and comics were the complete work of a single individual, although knowing a bit about Charles Schultz, his work ethic doesn't surprise me and his mavericky way of operating in his sphere is refreshing. Uh, semi-pro ball started in his 30s and up to 40 years old. That in itself is impressive. Everything else is impressive as it is. Is icing on the cake. Uh, Mr. Motoyoshi from Japan said, That was a great interview. Nice getting to hear Jim discuss the world of illustration as well as various tobacco blends. Uh, Brian, sorry for not being more specific about the DGT, the de Delayed Gratification Theory question. I, uh, all right, here's what I think you ought to do with that, Andrew. Um, pack, a, pack a bowl in the evening, do the charring light on it, leave it sit, pick it up in the morning. I do that a lot frequently, and that morning tastes good. Even when I'm going to be on the road or be out for a couple, you know, be on the road in the car for a couple of hours, I might do the charring light on two or three pipes and get them all ready to go. 
works wonders. Uh, what else have we got here? Young Blacksmith, a new member on PipesMagazine.com, says, very enjoyable episode. As always, guys, Brian, Kevin, and guest Jim enjoyed the recap of the KC show. Also, I can now put a face on the voice as well, thanks to James Foster's article about the KC show. Yeah, the KC show article is up, and uh, it's there for you to read. And uh, James and I both agreed that the uh, <laughs> that the showers in Kansas City were great. Uh, Dino said, Jim Inks, what an interesting and fascinating fellow, a very entertaining conversation. Can't wait to hear part two, as I've found his tobacco reviews quite well done. Ah, another old-time radio fan. I spend time, some of my, er, I spent some of my early years glued to the radio until my parents bought a TV. I renewed my interest in the early 70s when Chuck Shaden stated his Those Were the Days radio show. I'm sorry, started. Been a fan ever since. A little correction, though, the Lonesome Gal excerpt is probably from late 1953, since Your My Evening was sung by Joni James, was released that year till Tuesday, Dino. Dino, you're correct. Caught me. I missed it. Yeah, it was 1953. Uh, Riff Raff says, I really enjoyed the interview. Jim has been a staple of the online pipe community for some time, and I rely on his insights when it comes to pipe tobaccos. It was funny, before I started listening to the show, I loaded up a bowl of Three Nuns in my Sassini 4 dot. It was cool to hear his review of Three Nuns, both past and present. As a comic nerd and history nut as well, I was riveted to this week's show. Jim is a very interesting guy and has had a diversified portfolio in his comic and cartoon industry. Uh, One of the questions you should have asked him was, who is his favorite superhero? I can't wait to hear part two about the plethora of tobacco reviews. Great show. I love the episode of Lonesome Gal. It was a great change of pace, and yeah, there was a couple other people thought it was a little freaky. Anyway, we'll get more mailbag next week, I promise. We'll get all caught up, and in just a minute, rant time. This is Internet Radio. Cuba Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. 
It has been about two and a half years since I took that uh, took that cruise that inspired the first rant about the smoking and the fact that I could no I could only smoke a pipe or a cigar in the little tiny pipe or cigar lounge. But that cruise was also the time I started to notice some odd things on the events listings on that cruise ship. And then going forward, going to trade shows and all the travel that I do, I would notice the occasional odd event listing on the uh, on the calendar or on the itinerary. And it happened again on the last two cruises, and it's happened at a couple of trade shows that I've been to, where you'll see this strange little meeting or this strange event that doesn't really mean much. One of them that I'm going to out is, <laughs> coincidentally, uh, is... The listing for the Friends of Dorothy. Friends of Dorothy is a code word for a gay-friendly meetup. Well, on this past cruise that we went on, they didn't have a code word for it. They just called it a GLBT meetup. Uh, They did have a over-35 meetup. There are certain self-help groups, and I will not out them, that uh, that have their own meetups at events like this. And so that made me think, you know what, if all these people are having these meetups, what we as pipe smokers need to come up with is our own code word for us to gather. So I put my thinking cap on and I came up with what I think would work best for us as pipe smokers and it would be the only thing that we would know. So if you're going to an event, put the Friends of St. Claude or the Followers of St. Claude on the listing. St. Claude being the birthplace of the modern-day Briar Pipe. Put followers of St. Claude on the listing, and all of us pipe smokers will know that's where we're going to secretly gather, and we'll know that it's all pipe smokers there, and everybody will be pipe-smoking friendly. So remember, followers of St. Claude. How's that? That's our own secret word for what we do. All right. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you all for tuning in. Please, if you get a chance, leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Uh, I guess Stitcher's doing ratings and reviews now, so we'd appreciate that there as well. Post any comments you got on the forums. I promise I'll get around to reading them all. I'm still getting caught up in everything from being gone for a week and having absolutely no social media whatsoever, which was kind of nice. But I will get around them, and uh, as soon as my wife figures out the 400-plus pictures that she took, we'll get some of those up on Facebook as well. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Jim for uh, his patience and spending a lot of time with me. And thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. About the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather.
Even though I wasn't uh, chosen to be the Pipes Magazine radio show host, big mistake. I'm thrilled to be here on the show. Could care less. 